Hey, welcome everybody. This is the State of the CIO, where we talk with America's top IT leaders about the changing role of technology in the C-suite. I'm your host, Dan Kelly. Hey everybody, Dan Kelly here with State of the CIO Podcast. I hope everyone's having a great day. We've got another awesome guest with us today. His name is Shri Canero. He's the CIO of Winnebago Industries. Hey Shri, how are you doing? Good morning, Dan. Oh, doing well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Speaking to a fellow Minnesotan here in a rainy day here in March, but it was 70 degrees yesterday, so we don't have too much to complain about, I guess. Yeah, I'm waiting for the golf courses to tie out so they can open up the greens here very soon. (laughs) Yeah. So, Shri, I know you've been in Minneapolis for a long time and have worked for some pretty impressive companies. Could you maybe just give a personal background on how you got into IT, why you put up with the Minnesota winners here and uh, and the companies you've worked for and perhaps just your journey? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I won't belabor my full journey, but going all the way back, I grew up in India. Got my engineering degree and worked for a couple of multinational companies, you know, out of college in technology. I joined as a software engineer and very early on, I kind of knew I was going to, you know, learn as much as I can and, you know, use those opportunities, early learning opportunities, kind of get a sense of global culture, I call it, you know, working in multinational companies. That's what jettisoned me into a consulting gig in San Francisco in 1997. And I've been blessed and lucky since then, you know, having worked with premium brands. I had a chance to work with Mervyn's California, you know, which was part of Target Corporation. And then, you know, our industry is small. At the end of the day, yes, you know, it's global, but it's very small. The CIO I was working at at that time, you know, once I helped them integrate Mervyn's California into Target, she asked me, you know, would you mind coming to Minneapolis and helping us with other integrations? So people relationships is what actually brought me to Minnesota from nice, sunny California to <laughs> Minnesota. Looking shock. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That was Hopefully a, that was a system. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the quick thing there is it's all about people. It's all about relationships. Work gets done through relationships. That's one of the reasons why I moved. Even for an Indian that grew up in the tropics, moving to Minnesota, you know what? Relationships were more important. And then once I got to Target, you know, a privilege to work on a lot of things at Target in the technology space, enabling a lot of business outcomes from on end-to-end uh, retail supply chain. And then I decided to venture into a new industry, something that is at the precipice of transformation. And that's what got me to Excel Energy. Utility industry has run the same ways practically since Edison invented the light bulb, a one-way <laughs> power flow. And the industry was on the precipice of change with new technologies, you know, solar, wind, you know, renewable, all of that. And I wanted to be part of the ground floor and bring my own experiences and maturity to that industry. So that's what got me there. And I spent five years there and now seven months new in Winnebago Industries. Very similar story again. The industry is up for a change as well, too. Opportunity for transformation. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you always want to be in IT or did you just fall into it? Oh, great question. It's so interesting, you know, with my background from India, right? Uh, Typically, there's two professions all of us kind of branch out into. Either you become a doctor or an engineer. God has given me a couple of gifts, not too many, but a couple. You know, growing up, I was good in math and logical thinking. So that naturally, I had affinity towards technology growing up. And that's what kind of paved my path into technology. That's great. Yeah. It's always interesting to hear the answer, whether someone just fell into it or they had a you know childhood dream. I find more and more people are actually just falling into it because they're coming from business roles and kind of falling into the IT space just 
for the kind of the ever-changing landscape. Yeah, that's an interesting observation, Dan. I think you are spot on. 20 years ago, you had to make a choice about technology or what your profession was. Mm. But as we look into the 21st century and where we are, especially post-pandemic, right? Technology is an enabler for every business model. doesn't matter what you produce at the end of the day. Technology is it. And, you know, in the future, doesn't matter what your profession is, you have to have some inkling and some robustness of knowledge into technology. Yeah. So let's talk about a couple of your uh, key experiences here just as of late, because of what you just described in your introduction, you're talking about essentially problem solving, right? And using technology as an enabler for the resolution of the problem, right? Where do you start? That question makes sense. When you enter into a company or an industry that is ripe for transformation, and there's a couple that are on the bottom of the transformation scale currently, where do you start when you walk in the door? Maybe talk about that a little bit. Yeah, no, great question. You know, the one that I'm, you know, 150% sold on is customer. You never can go wrong in looking at how you can transform your customer experiences. Because at the end of the day, all of us as companies, we are here to serve customers, have customers achieve their dreams. So that's one place I always say, customer, you can never go wrong. Because there's always something you can do, you as in a company can do to elevate the customer experiences, you know, how you deal with your customers, how you surprise and delight them, right? What kind of products you put in front of them? Are you listening to them actively to incorporate their feedback into your product line, whatever that product line is? So personally, for me, that's one I always kind of glom onto through my career. That's kind of what I learned early on is at the end of the day, customer is king, right? That's one. The second one, especially in this day and age, is about data. Not all of us are good. We're still in the early parts of learning how to utilize the data and use the power of data to help transform the customer experiences, but also more importantly, employee experience. So customer, you can never go wrong. The other thing you can never go wrong about transformation efforts is employee experience. At the end of the day, what your employees need and how your employees can come to work and you know give themselves fully and the tools you put in front of them, the processes you put in front of them, the culture you put in front of them, that'll enable them to actually have a better employee experience. In turn, they'll actually provide better customer experience. It was going to be one of my questions that I asked you of what customer are you referring to? Because sometimes it depends who you're talking to for CIO, right? Sometimes they view the customer just as the CEO. (laughs) So I loved how you approached it as far as the end consumer of the product for the company. Yeah, Yeah, that's a great distinction. A lot of times I've fell victim to this sometimes too for myself. Sometimes, you know, we focus too much on internal customer. As IT organizations, you know, we always want to please, you know, deliver outcomes for our internal stakeholders which is really the business unit leaders. But at the end of the day, we still as a company, the only way we can also elevate IT is also by providing both of those, customer and customer and internal customer. Yeah. And let's talk about external customer for a second. So to identify their pain points, opportunities, all the corporate jargon words we can throw here, how do you go about doing that? Maybe just talk about that process a little bit with me. I know for a fact, our audience would be very interested in your approach there. Yeah, you know, you kind of hit on this, you know, digital transformation is often overused and not well understood word. But if you have to decompose that down, the way at least I approach is back to strategy. When I talk about strategy, understanding what our customer friction points or pain points are and doing that in the context of customer journey mapping. Who are all your customers? What are those friction points when they engage with you, right? Doesn't matter what channel, where they're engaging from. 
having a good understanding of that, and then having clarity of thought on where do we want to take it? What is our North Star look like? I've had a recent example since I joined, right? I'm going to air some dirty laundry here. Um, as I walked <laughs> in, one of the business unit brand leaders, you know, literally two weeks in, Shri, can you buy me a CRM? And I respectfully said, eh, no, I'm not going to buy a CRM because I don't understand the context of why you want me to buy a CRM. So what are the problems we are trying to solve? And it goes back to, you know, sometimes you have to do step zero before you get to step four. Sometimes in the digital transformation world, I've been, I know a lot of us have scars in this, right? You know, through experiences. Sometimes we go to step four before we have done the step zero. We've decomposed our problem, understood that, aligned on it. That's when, you know, in IT, especially we can go sideways because we kind of integrate stuff without understanding the macro and the micro view. Yeah. Two thoughts and one question. Let me present the question first. As far as where do you want to take the customer? Immediately when you were describing that, I think of customer journey mapping. Are you doing that with some customers in like a design thinking way? Do you have any recommendations for people that might know what you're talking about, but don't know how to really execute it? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, a lot of us, you know, and I call it legacy traditional companies that are on the precipice of transforming and align internally to transform using design thinking, you know, ability to think outside the box. There is a distinct difference between UI versus UX. We all grew up in the UI world, right? We didn't grow up in the UX world. So it's important that, you know, we kind of pause and not do the traditional way, especially when you think about customer journey mapping. Think of the new way, design thinking and user experiential-led design is what I call. This is where I'm relying on external partners, true designers. They're not IT people. They're more, you know, psychological. They understand behaviors, demographics, ethnographics. So I'm using an external partner to come in and help us kind of lead us organization through that cultural change. When you talk about customer journey mapping, sometimes you have to unlearn what you learned for the last 20 years. And these designers actually enable you to do that. Yeah, that's really great. When you're on that journey, I imagine you're engaging internally multiple different stakeholders in addition to the end customer outside your company. But maybe could you speak to the importance or unimportance, it's okay too, of IT and business relationship, right? We talk a lot about this business partnering aspect, and I think everyone understands that. But I'm going to ask the question in a little bit a different way. Does the IT person need to have business skills or does the business person need to have IT skills? And I know your answer is going to be both, <laughs> but I'd like to understand your approach on this, right? Because something that I see again, just as a third party entering into companies, is this no matter how well-developed IT organization you have, if you don't have IT people that can speak business and understand business, you're bound to fail. So I'm sorry, I'll hop off my soapbox. I'd like to get your opinion on this matter. Yep, I agree with your soapbox and that's my soapbox as well too. Has okay. To. <laughs> okay. You know, I'll use myself as an example. You know, I've been blessed and privileged to be where I am, right? As a CIO of a big organization. You know, I got here based on exactly that, living on that soapbox, knowing the business better than a business person would know. I have a lot of Target DNA in me. Target is a great company, a great brand. Early on in my career at Target, that's the culture we had. You know, as an IT leader, you want to know the devil in the details of the business process and the business capabilities, why those business capabilities are important, why they're strategic core and differentiating for certain business outcomes, right? So personally for me, answer is both. Then let's just be honest, in the 21st century, you have to be both. But especially IT leaders have to be business leaders first. 
I view myself as a business leader first when I walk into the office as an IT leader second. That's how I try to interact with my executive peers so that I can learn from them, but also more than that, create credibility with them too. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. You know, it would be interesting if you can share anything that Winnebago is doing to optimize that customer experience, maybe through that customer journey. I think of the typical retail transaction where it's a buy and then forget and then try to sell you a maintenance contract later. Yep. What, (laughs) you know, I mean, the typical, let's call it the typical retail transaction. And I've always thought that there's more you can do there. So can you share anything that you're currently working on, looking at anything of that nature? Yeah, we've got a couple of things in the pipeline. Before I answer that question for the listeners, I want to give a little bit of context to who we are as a brand. So Winnebago Industries, you know, it's a collection of premium outdoor lifestyle brands. We occupy the land and the marine space. In the land portfolio space, everybody's heard of the iconic Flying W. That's the iconic Winnebago brand, right? So we have that in our stable. Along with that, we also have Grand Design RV, which is another iconic brand that's been built, ground up in the last eight years that has a very, very customer affinity in the marketplace. And the third brand is the Newmar. That's an ultra premium brand we have. That's the big size motor homes, you know, uh, 35 footer motor homes. And in the marine space, we also have Chris Craft. A lot of people know Chris Craft, another iconic brand, right? You know, you see one, you start salivating. They're beautiful boats. Always have been. I grew up on one and I keep seeing the ones out on Lake Minnetonka, the new ones, real sleek, low design. I'm like, yes. you know, someday I'm just going to buy one of those. I don't know why, but they're just classic. They're beautiful. I've had a chance to go to Florida and take a trip on our newest model. You know, they're just gorgeous. They kind of cater to every aspect of a customer's expectations. With that comes an obligation for our customer side, you know, to innovate continuously. That's what we're known for. You know, we're known for three things, continuous innovation and quality. And the last one is we're known for service. Those are the three things, you know, to your question, right? We don't want to just sell a product. You know, yes, we are still a B2B. We sell all of our product through dealers. But more than selling through a dealer, what we want to be able to do is have that customer intimacy. So back to the question you were asking, what are some of the stuff that's going on in our space? We are trying to lead in the connected code space, especially post-pandemic, Dan. The recognition is a lot of us, you know, post-pandemic have got in touch with, I would argue, with our soul a little bit. You know, it's been a tough year for everybody across the world. But more importantly, I think the pandemic also has taught us to get a little bit in touch with our soul and our purpose too. And we are all recognizing as humans, there is a lot to do more than work and, you know, the corporate career or other things. There is family and experiences and moments you create with family and loved ones. So a lot of people have come in touch with outdoor lifestyles. What that really means for us is we need to continuously innovate. Good example, working remotely. Now, in the work remote way, a lot of our customers want a little bit more work-dedicated RVs. Previously, it was more family-dedicated outdoor, I call it a vacation or a trip or a cross-country. Now they want to be able to do that, plus also work. So we're spending a lot of time on connected coach opportunities. We're spending a lot of time on innovation around battery and energy management, because a lot of folks now also want to have that boondocking experience, not just be sitting in a campground, but go off, sit in that national park in a where you don't see anybody for a couple of days. What that means is we have to have that energy management optimization and innovation, because we need to make those batteries last longer and longer every day. You know, if you dissect our product line, right, we basically build premium houses. On wheels. 
on wheels, right? So we have a lot of innovation going on in that space. You know, we are constantly looking for innovation in material sciences. You know, how can you make our product more safer, more, I call it forward-looking, aesthetic, design-conscious, purposeful, form and fit. For example, we also do specialty vehicles where you can have this, you know, cancer screening or dentist, you know, all these vehicles where you can drive and cater to communities, right? Coming out of the pandemic, we introduced antibacterial walls inside our coach. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a great idea. So we're always looking for innovation in material sciences as well, too. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm totally that guy that would buy one of these things and just want it to work somewhere in the middle of nowhere in the woods. And yet when I want to, I can connect and work and then walk out and not see anybody for three days, (laughs) be in a retreat, you know? Yep. So it sounds like I might be a future customer, I guess. Uh, you can be our customer today. You don't have to be a feature. We have product lines. In the last year, we've rolled out some amazing products into the marketplace. And, you know, based on that, we, we had a very good customer reaction and our demand is high too. So, Oh, yeah. I imagine it's probably been a pretty good year. Everyone in the outdoor segment is outdoor and pets, man. Yes. I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, that's excellent. I want to shift quickly before we forget into a couple of our standard questions. We only have two in these interviews, but I want to make sure we get to them. The first being is, you know, if you could give yourself some advice at the beginning of your career, you know, what would that be? And, you know, just as a quick reminder, we have a lot of listeners that specifically download our content every month. And there's a larger and larger contingency of those listeners being people at the beginning of their career trying to get some advice from people that have already gone through the process, if you will. So any advice you'd give yourself at the beginning? Great question, Dan. You know, reflecting back, two things. You know, if I took myself 26 years back, I would continuously remind myself. One is never lose the curiosity to learn. Have the curiosity to learn the business you're in. That's one thing, you know, I always keep reminding myself. Curiosity should not have an expiration date based on your age. Yep. So that's one thing that I keep reminding myself because curiosity is what has helped me, given me opportunities to work with a lot of people, solve problems, not by myself, but in a team, but also take what I've learned and apply that in 10 different places. A lot of times we're not creating new curves. A lot of times we're recycling our experiences. Sure. So staying curious and you know trapping those experiences in your brain, I think it helps you in the long run. The second one is... It's more of a career progression, you know, something that I kind of wish, you know, I was a little bit more in tune and listening to my mentors, you know, luckily when I got to Target, I had great mentors, great leaders I work with, which is when you do your career management, right? Don't think of that as a linear progression. Think that as a lattice. You have to go 10 different places before you get to a place where you want to be. That's the mindset I didn't have, to be honest with you, when I first came out into the workforce. Partially, a little bit of that was, I call it a cultural thing, you know, cultural background thing coming from India. But once I moved to the U.S., I had to learn that lesson through hard knocks. You know, if I went backwards and if I have to give anybody else advice right in the future, that's what I would give them is have the passion, have the curiosity, but also know that you don't have to put timeline to that progression. And things won't probably work out exactly how you plan them to. (laughs) You don't. In fact, you know, I'd be honest, you know, sometimes I made choices that I shouldn't have based on certain things. Sometimes you end up making, I call it stupid choices, if you have that set view. (laughs) Right. I've never heard that said before. And boy, that resonates with me only because I'm so visual using the analogy of a lattice versus a ladder, of having a zigzag versus straight up. I wish someone told me that when I started, because that would make a lot more sense, because it sounds like you and I were pretty similar. 
<laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, give more credence to experiences you're gaining. That's what yeah. it is. And the people you're working with, that's the other important one. You know, the people you're working with is the most important. The people is how work gets done. Yeah, no doubt. Very, very good insight. I mentor a couple of people just like you do, I'm sure. You know, we get those opportunities and it's a mutual relationship. We learn from each other. And I'm going to use that analogy if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I can't take credit for it either. Somebody taught me early on in my life. Yeah, Yeah, it's awesome. All right. Second question. Tell me your best worst boss story. (laughs) You don't have to name names. Tell me about an experience that has changed you forever because of a poor management experience. Yeah, I've been lucky in my life, you know, with more of a best boss stories than the worst boss stories, to be honest with you. I've been very lucky and privileged and blessed for that. And, you know, the best boss stories, you know, I got a few, right? You know, one of the best boss story is doesn't matter how good you are intellectually and, you know, both from an IQ and EQ point of view, a lot of us find ourselves at some points becoming complacent because of other things happening in your life. One of my best one is one time I had a leader who I looked up to, to be honest with you, gave me the hard feedback and, you know, kicking the butt a little bit to wake me up. And yes, in the moment, it felt bad. But 10 days later, a month later, you know, a year later, two years later, I look back at that moment. And I would argue those are the kinds of defining moments that best bosses give you, right? They Mm -hmm. give you the honest, open feedback, timely feedback, but they also have your back and have enough trust in you to give you those opportunities to, you know, pick back up and also elevate you too. So I have a couple of good boss stories like those. And, you know, those are still the best leaders, you know, that I work with and I keep in contact with. Um, Worst boss story, you know, way early on in my life, I don't know who's doing it, was my doing or the boss is doing. But I've had a time where um, I'm being careful in my words, because a lot of us have had this, you know, scenarios where somebody didn't say in this exact same words, but they've said, oh, Shri, you're too young to be a manager. Oh, you know how many times I heard that Uh, in public and private sectors? Oh, speak freely. And I had to go back and reflect on that as in, okay, what am I not working on? What am I not exhibiting? So I had to do a little bit of reflection. And based on other, I call it my support structure, kind of reiterate for me, that wasn't me. It was more of a projection by somebody else based on somebody's traditional thinking. That was a tough moment for me, to be honest with you, Dan. In that moment is when I recognized the manager's job is the toughest job. When you actually move from an individual contributor to manager job, the expectations people have or certain thinkings they have. Anyway, that was a moment. And luckily for me, I think you know the saving grace for me personally in that moment was having that strong support network around me. There were other leaders, other peers of my own boss that were able to see the potential and the performance and elevated me through that journey. That's very helpful. Thank you for that. My personal experience on that piece, I don't know if anyone in our listener base or even you, Shri, can attest to this, but I've been given some of the same feedback earlier in the career when I used to work for someone. And it was largely because that individual was threatened Yes, and not for good reasons. So for all of the managers out there, keep that in the back of your mind to make sure you're not letting your human emotions come out. (laughs) If you're dealing with a rock star, they may be even performing better than you. You should enable that person more versus try to prohibit. So I think that was what my situation was. And luckily, you know, again, somebody else was willing to take that risk and elevate, right? And give me the, I call it the leeway to excel even more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, when we talk about people, it's about us keeping our emotions in check and our judgments in check 
and letting the other people fly, right? And so it's taking risks. You know, this has been an outstanding conversation. You know, as you're talking through this, I keep thinking of the word kind of partnership in my head, you know, kind of your people partnerships and, you know, supplier partnerships, et cetera. Any final thoughts you want to share with our audience today or anything we didn't get to? Picking up on your theme of partnerships, I think, you know, especially now going forward in the world where we're all trying to solve problems, either it be for our customers, our employees, or our communities, partnership, that's a key word, actually. You know, I've heard this word previously from a couple of other leaders that I worked with. It's not competition anymore. It's cooperation. It's becoming more evident that we can provide more value and faster value if we can create those partnerships across the ecosystems, internal, external. Competitors actually can be your partners too. Sure. Partnerships is key, but more importantly, creating that pathway for talent and taking risks on talent and enabling talent to you know, kind of soar and removing barriers. That's our primary job. I think that's the last thing I want to share, Dan. To close out, I just, Dan, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be able to speak and share some of my own lessons and hard knocks through my own journey and what I've learned. And I'm still a work in progress. Most of us are still a work in progress, right? So I, <laughs> I just want to thank you for the opportunity. And on behalf of Winnebago Industries and 5,500 very competent team members that are behind us, I want to say thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. And I'm a work in progress too. Just ask my wife. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, if people want to get a hold of you, Shri, or just learn from you, are you active in any specific space, LinkedIn or anything like that? Yeah, I'm active in LinkedIn and I'm also active in the Minnesota technology community. Tech talent is one of my passions. DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion is one of other, my other passions as well. So if anybody wants to reach out to me, LinkedIn is a good one, or look me up on Mintech, a plug for Mintech. We do great work in the Minnesota community. I know across the U.S., pretty much every state has a technology association. All of us are trying to elevate technology. Yeah, and I can attest to that. You do do good work there. So that's great. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Shri. I know uh, our audience will take a lot of value away from this conversation. And if everyone enjoyed today's episode, feel free to hit subscribe or like wherever you listen to your podcasts and feel free to give me feedback. Reach out to me directly. LinkedIn's a good place for me too. Dan Kelly on LinkedIn. There's a few of us, but you should be able to find me. And thanks again, Shri, for your time. Thank you, Dan. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's conversation, please share this podcast with one person you think who would enjoy it. For show notes, episodes, and more, please visit thenegotiator.guru. Look forward to hearing from everyone soon. Thanks, and we'll talk to you soon.